It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. I'm Mark Feinsand, executive reporter for MLB.com. Welcome to the Executive Access Podcast. Jonathan Strangio grew up in the suburbs of Long Island, New York, before playing four years of baseball at Harvard. But following a short stint with his hometown Mets after graduation, he made the move across country, joining the Angels as a baseball operations intern in 2012. He moved up the ladder while working under former general manager Jerry Depoto, then remained a key cog in the front office when current GM Billy Epler was hired promoting him to assistant GM in 2015. I sat down with Strangio to discuss how StatCast has changed the way fans and front offices look at the game, what it's like watching Mike Trout on a daily basis, and why DePoto once called him one of the smartest people he's ever worked with. Enjoy this conversation with Angels Assistant General Manager, Jonathan Strangio. Here with Angels Assistant General Manager, Jonathan Strangio. Jonathan, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So you grew up on Long Island in New York. What uh, what team did you root for as a kid? Uh, I grew up a, a Yankee fan. Uh during a pretty good time of Yankee baseball. Yeah, so I was uh, I was eight years old in 1996. So that was uh, you know about the age where you really start to pick up your your, your sports fandom. And uh, so obviously it was a you know a pretty pretty awesome time to, to be to be growing into to sports fandom with with all the things that were going on with them. Obviously, you were a baseball player growing up. You played in high school. Went on to play four years at Harvard. Like every other kid, was there a dream of being a professional baseball player? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you hold on. You know, to that for as long as you as long as you can. I think I, I realized that uh, at a certain point that that wasn't going to work out for me. Uh, but you know, enjoyed playing, and obviously you, you always want to play and you, your whole life to do all these other things and, and being an athlete, and particularly a competitive athlete. Um, the window to do that is, is relatively short, so um, you know, wanted to play for for as long as I could. When the dream finally in your head realized that it wasn't going to happen, when did you decide that a career in baseball was still something you wanted to pursue? Uh, you know, so I think I, I hadn't really given it a lot of thought. I wasn't somebody that when I was, you know, a young kid, I had really given a lot of thought, you know, somebody I'd like to, to work in a front office or work in baseball. It was really something that I, I kind of, you know, fell into uh, when I was um, actually recovering from a shoulder injury that I had that was sort of like the final thing that, that made it very clear that I would not be playing baseball much longer. Um, and I, I got my, actually my first internship uh, working in baseball, uh, I was a summer intern with the Mets, uh, working in uh, on, on the business side of their operation and, and doing uh, their uh, their game use memorabilia business, and out at the auction table and, and doing some things. And, I, and that was when it really hit me that I loved going to the ballpark every day. I loved being in that environment, and that that sort of work wasn't what I wanted to do in baseball long term. And I wanted to see if I could get into baseball operations, but. Um, you know, it was really at that point where I said, "Hey, I'm going to start, you know, studying and really getting into a lot of this stuff and, and make a make a push to, to try and work in, in baseball operations." You uh, so you weren't one of those kids with like a Brian Cashman poster on your wall or anything like that. <laughs> no. <laughs> were there were there executives even as you were growing up watching the game and, and, and playing in college? Were there executives that you admired from afar for the work that they did in baseball? Yeah, definitely, and I would say that Brian just being a, a big Yankee fan as a kid I mean that was that was the one that was sort of you know closest to me growing up and the team that I followed most closely and, and was most interested in you know the decisions they were making and the things that they were doing 
Um, but really some of the big names, obviously, you know, Red Moneyball when I was younger. So, um, you know, Billy Bean and then obviously, you know, Theo. And, you know, so really just the, the guys that I, I felt like were sort of, you know, at really at the at the kind of the forefront of, of things and pretty far out there. And then as I got more and more into baseball, I learned, you know, about more and more people that were doing really interesting work. Even though you never played pro ball, how do you think your college baseball experience has helped you in your in your baseball career now in a front office role? Um, you know, I think the more baseball that you played, the the more that you get exposed to. Uh, I was fortunate enough to get a chance to play against some some pretty good players, and uh, I didn't didn't always go that well. Obviously, players that were much better than I was. Uh, you get exposed to seeing a higher level of competition, um, and I think that that um, that's a you know a benefit. And just just having played for longer and, and being around more people in the game, and um, again, it's just a just a function of, of greater experience. But again, I, you know, I definitely think that having the opportunity to play professionally and then certainly to play in the major leagues, that those are very significant additional experiences that are really, really valuable and lend themselves very well to, um, you know, to working in a front office or, you know, being part of the baseball operations department. So I think that when you have people that are um, working in front offices that don't have that experience, like I, I try and lean uh, a lot on people that have those experiences. We recently hired Andrew Bailey, um, people like Eric Chavez and uh, Brad Ausmus, who bring you know experience. He brings experience as a manager and a former player, and then those guys, you know, obviously as players relatively recently, and, and trying to learn as much as I can from people like that because of the you know the tremendous experience they have, and that those are those are gaps in my own experience. You mentioned Andrew Bailey. It's interesting to me to see a guy who's battled through so many injuries and, and had such a tough time staying healthy, decide, I'm done trying to go through this and more surgeries and more of this and that, and then turn to a front office role. Do you think more guys may still, I mean, you've seen now in the Yankees front office, they've got Dan Geis and Kevin Reese and Matt Daly, some guys who, you know, got to the big leagues, never had hugely successful careers, but now you're seeing more and more players start to turn and at least have an interest in that side. When you see a guy like Andrew have an interest in coming to work on the front office side, is that encouraging to you? Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's great, and I think that uh, you know, with uh, you know, a lot of you know today's players and the interest that they have in in data and, and economics and you know their own careers and, and all these things, I think we may start to see a time when more of these guys uh, are you know rising through front office roles. And um, but yeah, no, it's definitely encouraging, and I think that um, you know. The having you know organizations with um, you know diversity of thought and diversity of experience and having those you know those people as part of front offices is it's a great thing and I don't think that uh, you know we could do our jobs as you know or that I could do my own job as somebody who doesn't have that sort of experience without having people that have that experience um, you know to to bounce things off of and, and to sort of um, you know discuss things with. So you mentioned that first internship with the Mets when you were still in college was on the business side. Mm-hmm. Uh, once you graduated, you returned to the Mets for an internship in the baseball operations side. What were you doing there, and did that sort of really whet your appetite for, for baseball operations? Um, so I was doing a, a little bit of everything. I was helping out with um, their uh, advanced scouting process, um, doing you know ad hoc research here and there, uh, trying to learn as much as I could about you know baseball analytics from people that had more experience and doing those things, and really trying to immerse myself in uh, you know the kind of the, the current state at the time of, of baseball thought and baseball research. Um, and, uh, yeah, that really did whet my appetite. And I wound up staying there. I was there for, uh, I think it was about a year and a half, um, and, and really had a chance to, to learn a tremendous amount and, and get a chance to work with some, some really great people. And, and yeah, that, that, you know, as I got rolling, I, I realized that this was something I really you know, took seriously and really wanted to do.
You then took it across the country to the Angels, 2012 internship in the baseball operations department there, yep. eventually promoted to coordinator. Uh, how did your association with the Angels come about? Uh, so I actually uh, interviewed with, uh, with Matt Klentak when he was with the Baltimore Orioles uh, in the winter of, at the winter meetings in 2010. So I started with the Mets, I interned there for you know, about six months, and then I was going to make a decision on whether or not I wanted to continue uh, with the Mets as an intern or maybe you know, move and try another opportunity. And Matt was one of the people that I interviewed with and ultimately you know, elected to not uh, you know, go take an internship with the Orioles. And then uh, when it ultimately didn't you know, work out as far as a full-time opportunity with the Mets, uh, you know, I uh, connect, reconnected with Matt and you know, became very clear that this was, this was a really great opportunity to join a group of people that were you know, starting something pretty new and it was a relatively small operation and, and get in on the ground floor. Uh, and that was a you know, pretty cool opportunity. I was very fortunate to, to be in the right place at the right time on that. Matt obviously went on to become the GM of the Phillies. Could you tell, as you worked with him in those, you know, the first few months that you worked with him, that he was a guy who was headed in that direction to be in a GM chair somewhere? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I learned so much from Matt over the course of, I think it was about four years that, that he and I worked together. Just, you know, the way he conducts himself, the way, you know, he builds relationships and, uh, you know, works with, um, you know, agents and people at other clubs and sort of the level of attention to detail and creative thought that he, that he brought to everything was something that I learned a tremendous amount about and obviously were, were the types of things that you, you definitely see in, in successful executives and, and people that you know, ultimately become general managers. After the 2014 season, you get promoted again to manager of Major League Operations. It says your focus was on 40-man roster construction, rules, CBA compliance, analytics, salary arbitration, and contract negotiation. That's a lot. <laughs> How do you go about sort of learning everything you need to know about each one of those areas? Sure. Um, I think the best the best way to go about learning those things is is through exposure. So first thing is is uh, getting to watch and work closely with um, you know people like Matt and then also Justin Hollander, who's the director of baseball operations. As I was coming up with the Angels, um, so learning from people that are are invested in your development is is the biggest thing. Um, but secondarily is, is those people placing some, some faith and trust in you to, to take on some things that you haven't experienced before and just go and run with them. But, um, you know, one of the things that I did a lot you know, early in my career was I would you know, read the rules and read the CBA. And I think that as I started to move forward in my career, I realized that you don't really learn. You don't really learn it until you actually start to have to do it. And uh, as you start to apply those things, that's when the, the comprehension and, and things develop. So, you know. Matt giving me those opportunities to, to really be involved and, and start to apply things, and then that obviously progressed you know further as I as I took over for Matt um, when he left for um, you know the job with the Phillies was was a big thing. But you know it's a lot of independent study, but also you know having the opportunity to to do things and having people trust you with with those uh, assignments. Your counterpart from the Nationals, Bob Miller, told me once that. If you learn the rules, you'll always have a job. <laughs> so it seems like, you know, if you become an expert on the CBA or you become an expert on all the rules that need to go on, you'll be useful somewhere all the time. So it sounds like that's probably a good uh, good advice for somebody trying to break into the game, yeah, right? Yeah, that's, uh, that's encouraging. Of all of those areas that I mentioned, which one do you consider to be your strength? Is it CBA stuff? Is it, you know, what, what, where, when you think about what you do best in your job, 
where, what is it? Um, I mean, I would, I would speak generally just to the, the aspects of major league operations. So that does include, um, you know, interpreting the, the rules in the CBA and also, um, you know, supporting Billy on our, our major league contract negotiations and handling the salary arbitration process. I don't know that any one thing I would say is, is the thing that I'm, I'm definitely the, the, the best or that I view as, as my, my absolute strength, but, but really that domain and, and that is my, my most direct area of responsibility. And, and, you know, that group of things is what I would say is the biggest part of my day to day, depending on what time of year we're in. You mentioned you, you read Moneyball when you were younger and we've all seen the movie we've seen Jerry Maguire we've seen you know sort of these Hollywood accounts of what this is like how different is the real life job from maybe what the average fan pictures the real life job is about uh you know it's definitely different I think there are a lot of aspects of the job that are a lot like other jobs that are outside of baseball we have a lot of um staffing matters to to deal with and there's a ton of day-to-day and things need to be purchased and there's all of these sort of things that you know there's a lot of sort of machinery here, and I don't mean it's that. It's not in all signing free sense. agents. Exactly, right. yeah. I mean, and we spend, you know, obviously extremely, you know, extremely cool thing to, to get to, you know, sit around and talk about free agent signings and, and you know, obscure trade concepts and all, all the things that we you get to do those things. But at the same time, you know, it, it's, a, it's a, a business and an operation, and we have to make sure lots of little things are getting taken care of because those things are important. They're not just necessary, they're important. But, you know, there's a lot of that going on. But, but yeah, I think any any you know Hollywood account of anything it is not really going to reflect it but it's um, you know a lot of the things that, that get depicted we, we do get to spend a good amount of time doing everybody always laughs about the, the scene in Moneyball where, where Brad Pitt goes to Cleveland to have the trade <laughs> I mean I have friends who have said to me is that really how trades work I said no well, most people have never been in the other any other executive office besides the ones they've worked in and you know, so they take some some liberties and that kind of thing, but I guess that makes for a better movie, right? Sure. Oh yeah, <laughs> probably not as not as dramatic to do everything over the phone. Although I know they do some things in the in the they show some scenes. They made, they made the phones them. pretty dramatic, as, or as dramatic as you can make a phone call, I guess. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I think the times of year where you see that sort of face to face is really the winter meetings right. and the and the and the GM meetings. Right. Uh, one of the other things you used to do, you worked with Nick Francona and Jeremy Zoll, watching video, crunching numbers getting a packet together for Mike Sosha uh, and his coaching staff to construct game plans. How challenging of a task is that to try to take all this information and put it in a, uh, you know, a format where the manager, the coaches, and the players not only can understand it, but then actually try to execute it? Uh, it's very difficult, and I think that as the volume of data has just grown so exponentially over time, uh, it becomes a lot about the choices that are made in terms of what to include, what not to include, how to display something visually, how to, um, re- really what you don't put in there almost becomes as important as what you put in there because, um, again, you're trying not to, it doesn't matter who you are, like the, the volume of information, if it's not you know properly distilled, is it's, it's overwhelming. It doesn't matter how smart you are, it doesn't matter how much you can process, it's just you really have to pick and choose. And then you know we're asking guys to take some of that information and take it into the game with them and face major league hitters or, you know, hit, you know, major league pitching, you know, that that's what they really need to focus on. So how do we get the the most important insights to those players so that they can then, you know, both perform at the highest level and capitalize on some of the advantages that we think we found? You know, it's interesting. A lot of the people that I've sat down with for this podcast have been people who have been in the game for a long time. And one of the questions I always bring up at some point is how have analytics changed the game? They've always been here since you've been in the game. So can you think back and imagine what this job would be like without all the information that you have? I mean, how much more diff- 
would it have been more difficult to do this job without all this vast uh, amount of information that you have, whereas some people sort of look at it the other way, if it's become more difficult because you have all of it? Uh, well, I mean, I think it, certainly there, you know, stats and these things have been around for a very long time. So I think one of the advantages that we have now is the efficiency with which we're able to get and process all of this information, whereas I think you know, the amount of work that would have gone into just collecting and cleaning and having the data to use, you know, that, a lot of that has been eliminated just through, you know, technology. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's hard, it's, it's hard to imagine doing the job without, um, you know, without a lot of the things, that, a lot of the tools that we have available now. But I have seen a lot of, uh, you know, evolution over my, I think it's almost 10 years working in baseball now. Um, it's definitely changed a lot, and I've definitely seen it grow a lot. But I, I really, again, I was not exposed to the game before there was, um, you know, the, the readily available baseball analytics. So it's uh, definitely hard to imagine. You worked for Jerry Depoto before he left the Angels. What did you learn most from Jerry? Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, Jerry has, um, you know, an interesting, credible memory of players and uh, this, you know, database of players and the way that he, um, you know, thinks about players. That's, uh, you know, pretty interesting. I would say the thing that um, I learned most from him was, um, you know, how to look at the whole picture um, and see players both from a, you know, a scouting perspective, a statistical perspective, and really try and look at the whole picture and look at the whole universe of players and how players fit in the context of. Um, other players historically and trying to learn from, you know, okay, we have this subset of players they haven't gone and had their careers yet, but, you know, they looked like, um, you know, this subset of players and, um, you know, we can, we can utilize that. Jerry once called you one of the smartest people he's ever worked with. This is going to be a bit of a loaded question, but who's the smartest person you've ever worked with? Uh, that is a, <laughs> I, I will say that I've, I've worked with a lot of a lot of really bright people in this game, um, you know, uh, particularly uh, a lot of people in our own our own front office. Okay, uh, why don't we do this? So you don't offend okay. anybody in your current front office. Okay. Of the people who are no longer here or that you no longer work with right now, who's the smartest person you've ever worked with who you don't currently work with? Because uh, obviously the smartest person is the guy who hired you, or, or maybe you know, <laughs> Billy, right? Billy's your boss, so Billy's the sure, smartest person. Sure, sure, I could. That could, be, that, could be, that could be the answer. That, that would, uh, you know, in the interest of being honest, you know, I think I'll say, uh, um, you, know, you know, maybe Ben Ballmer with the Mets. Um, he was their statistical analyst at the time, and he, um, he taught me a lot about uh, baseball analytics and just went so much, you know, so much beyond, like, what I just was able to read or pick up in blogs and articles and things. And I always thought that his um, his work and his approach to things was, was really impressive. So that other smart guy we mentioned, Billy Epler, uh, he promoted you to assistant general manager after the 2015 season. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's pretty common when a, when a GM takes over a new team for him to bring in his own people. Uh, did you and Billy hit it off right away? Were you surprised that, that, you know, he didn't bring in, I mean, I know Steve Martone was a guy he brought in from New York, but you were a guy who was a holdover from the previous administration. Um, you, know, you know, I think that Billy, uh, you know, took the time to evaluate all of the people that were there. Um, and I, I got the sense very early that that was how he was going to do it. And he wasn't going to, you know, come in immediately and say, I have to assume that the, the people that were here are, are not the people that I want to work with and that the people that I might want to bring in are, you know, better suited to help. So I think that, you know, I definitely think that Billy and I hit it off early and uh, we were compatible and worked together really well. Um, 
you know, but again, I think I was just very fortunate to have been in the, you know, in the right place at the right time and, and to have had that opportunity to, you know, to show that I could, you know, do the job that I, that I do now. You mentioned before analytics have evolved even in the nine, ten years you've been in the game. One of the, the biggest changes, I think, was the introduction of StatCast. How do you think that StatCast has changed the way that, that front offices and fans, for that matter, view the game? Sure. Uh, it's an incredible data source. Um, and I think we're still really learning about it, and I don't know that it's, I, I can't imagine that anyone is really utilizing it to its full potential just yet, just because of how new it is. Um, so I think it's, it's going to be a huge data source for us uh, as a front office. And I think from a fan perspective, um, you know, it, it continues to be another thing um, that, you know, is able to reach like a, a more diverse, uh, you know, audience. And it's another thing that, you know, fans can engage with directly, and it's, one of these first sources of analytics where it's really, you know, replicating some of the things that we, you know, love about sports and you watch incredible athletes do incredible things and, you know, being able to measure some of those things kind of, you know, matches the uh, interest that I think a lot of people that like baseball have in numbers with some of the raw athletic characteristics that, you know, we also like about sports. But I also think it's important to remember that um, with fans that, you know, the game is, you know, is, is everyone's to consume in like the way that, that they, you know, enjoy the most. And so, um, you know, while, while it's available and it's great that you have, you know, all of these different things that are available to fans, it's not, you know, again, if you just want to go out and watch the athletes play. My dad has never heard of StatCast. Well, he's <laughs> heard of it because I work for MLB.com, but he's never looked at numbers. It's not how he takes in sure. baseball, but... He still loves the game and watches every night. Exactly. So, uh, you know, it's, it's to each his own. It, it, it seems like it's a very generational thing that the younger fans are really into mm-hmm. a lot of the analytics and stack has. Exit velocity seems to be a thing that people have really taken to launch angle. When you look at everything that StatCast has to offer, which, which aspects of it do you find most interesting and maybe conversely more useful? Um, I'm not going to get too into the weeds on, on what we use, sure. but, I, but I will say that um, I, I do think it's it's really great to to be able to directly measure what uh, what players are doing on the field, um, and you know, again, how fast guys are running, and, and yeah, and again, we utilize you know, everything that everything we you, you try and do from a player evaluation perspective is about getting as close to the actual the, the core skills and the talent of the player as possible, right? So we use traditional statistics to help us make inferences about the quality of the player. Um, so some of these things that are available now through StatCast are helping us get more directly to the skills and the talent of the player. So you think about all the things that you'd fill up a scouting report with or that you'd fill up an evaluation with if you were looking at a player statistically. Some of these new measures allow you to say, hey, yeah, it looks like he hits the ball hard or he hits a lot of doubles, triples, and home runs, and therefore we can infer that he hits the ball hard. Now we can actually measure that stuff more directly, and it's helping to um, you know, make those inferences better and uh, make them more, you know, directly measure those things more directly. Other sports have tried to follow baseball's lead in terms of the use of analytics and advanced metrics. It seems like none of them have had quite as much success. We saw Paul Podesta go to the Browns to try to sort of bring that there. Uh, why do you think baseball lends itself so much better to some of these advanced metrics? So I think that um, a lot of it is just a byproduct of the way that baseball is played. Um, you have a lot more um, discrete events in baseball. Uh, baseball doesn't flow in the same way that soccer or basketball uh, do. You know, you have a pitch, you have a ball in play, you have stolen. But you know, you, you can you can turn baseball into um, you know it's much easier to kind of create those data points. Now I think there's incredible work being done in in all those other sports, but I think it started in baseball one just because I think. 
statistics um, more than any other sport. Statistics are a really big thing in baseball. Um, but also it's just the way that baseball is structured and you have all of these discrete outcomes one after another and the game is not constantly flowing. It's much more difficult to, to create um, uh, you know, actionable you know, information when, when you have like, constant motion of players. And I think in soccer now you're seeing with a lot of this video technology in soccer and basketball that they're able to track the movements of the players much like we're able to do in baseball and I think they're actually ahead of baseball in that stuff and I think that has created a, um, you know, an expansion of, of a lot of the analytics. But you know, I really do think it's just the baseball, just the way it's played lends itself very well to, to being analyzed. It wasn't all that long ago that all 30 teams didn't have analytics departments. Now they all do. Is there a constant push internally to stay ahead of the pack and try to figure out what that next competitive advantage could be? Definitely. I think if we don't uh, both try and you know stay on par with our with our competitors, who I think are you know obviously everyone's you know racing as far out as, as you know as they can possibly get. So we're not you know working really hard just to stay on an even playing field. We can't even think about you know trying to, to, to kind of take those next step forward. But but absolutely, I mean if we're if we're not trying to get ahead, we're we're going to start falling behind. So. Um, you have to be constantly looking for those those next things to do. But I think as the sort of the, the water level has risen higher and higher, the ability to create these large competitive advantages or competitive advantages that you're going to be able to, to hang on to for a long period of time is becoming harder and harder. I saw you quoted where you said part of your job is trying to understand which metrics might be important to the past but don't translate to the future. Can you give me an example of that? Um, sure. I mean, so I think the... Um, yeah, that was a that, that was from a few years ago. Um, I mean, well, I think the the internet's did, a wonderful thing, isn't it? <laughs> you, you, did, you did your homework. Um, you know, I think um, I mean, a, kind of a, a an example of that would be something like uh, batting average on balls in play. Um, that's sort of the, the probably the most commonly talked about example of that, where you have something that you know, in the case of a pitcher, something that um, you know has a big impact on whether or not you have success as a pitcher, but tends to uh, regress to the mean a lot over the course of time and uh, or excuse me tends to regress to the mean a lot over small samples and so you would assume that players would behave um, or players performance would be much more like the mean so if a player's good or bad performance was um, rely very heavily on a good or bad you know batting average and balls in play that you would um, um, expect that to change in the future and, that, and that's sort of just one of the, the most common examples and obviously with a lot of the data that we have now with uh, you know even things like ground ball percentage but also exit velocity we're able to do a better job of understanding what a true talent level might be on on the quality of contact than batting average on balls and play which was a really really valuable thing to understand before a lot of that stuff existed this past offseason the recruitment of Shohei Otani was obviously well documented uh, complete with many late nights and abbreviated Thanksgiving weekend. What was that whole process like for you? Uh, it was really interesting. Uh, it was, uh, again, totally a, a totally unique process for me in the context of working in baseball and from what I've understood from, from people who have been doing this a lot longer than I have, um, been a pretty unique process in general. Um, I think you, you captured some of the highlights pretty well. Uh, I definitely did uh, did cut into Thanksgiving, but I, I knew as soon as we got that that note, and then we knew that we had to start to put together the written presentation. Um, you know that we had to dig in, and our whole staff uh, really dove in and did an incredible job. And uh, it moved very quickly, um, and I think that that was probably the part that surprised me the most. I think at the outset, when we found out that he was going to to make a decision, uh, I think it was the twentieth or the twenty first of December was the final day that. 
um, you know, this process could play itself out. My, my natural assumption, and just because of human behavior, I was like, okay, we're going to be doing this until that day. Right. Um, and so, you know, it, it picked up that, you know, that weekend, um, you know, over Thanksgiving, and then uh, we obviously worked on it, you know, for several days, and then we had the in-person meeting at the beginning of the following week, and then by Friday, we had found out. So the whole thing resolved itself much more quickly, but it was sort of a very intense period of time where we were very, very focused on uh, obviously putting our, our best presentation uh, forward. And I'm obviously very fortunate that it worked out the way that it did. Were you back on Long Island for Thanksgiving? I was not. I was actually with my uh, I was actually with my wife's family in Nashville. Oh, okay. So, so you still uh, weren't exactly in Anaheim. <laughs> no, I was not in Anaheim. No, we did a lot of work on that one remotely. Um, thankfully, with, uh, with all the technology, it's very easy to collaborate these days. What's the feeling when you find out that he's picked you? Uh, I was uh, I was lucky in that Billy happened to be in my office at the time, so I actually heard him on the phone with with uh, Shohei's agent Nez Bilal. so I could actually hear Nez say the words directly. And and much like Billy, I was uh, I was pretty shocked and, and obviously thrilled. And you know the way I think about it is you, know, you had seven teams, and I'm I'm sure all of which you know all, all the other six teams put together phenomenal presentations. And it's like you know if somebody tells you there's a 14 percent chance of rain, like you don't necessarily bring the umbrella. You right. know? So when we actually found out that um, you know, that he was picking us, and, and I think it was two things. One, obviously that we got the player, and two, as I said, we weren't expecting to find out that quickly, so it really caught us by surprise. Uh, and it was, uh, it was probably the most exciting moment of, of my career, um, and I felt like we'd put a lot of work into it, and to have it work out the way it did was awesome. This is your seventh year with the Angels. Your first year coincided with Mike Trout's first full year with the team. What's it been like to watch him play on a daily basis in your uniform? Uh, it's pretty remarkable, and it's something that I tell myself frequently to not take for granted, um, just because, it, again, he's just such an incredible player in everything that he does. Um, he continues to, to wow me with the things that he does um, all the time. And, and But as I said, I really you try not to take it for granted because – you know, there, there are not many, many players like him. They don't come around very often, and, and it's really a privilege to, to get to watch him. You're still a young man in this game, not even 30 years old. Is your ultimate aspiration to become a GM? Do you have higher aspirations down the line in your career? How do you sort of paint your ideal future? You know, I don't spend, uh, you know, it's been a ton of time thinking about what's next. Um, you know, it's definitely something that I've given a little bit of thought to, but I try and keep, you know, both eyes on the job. I and mean, I think my immediate, uh, my immediate goal is to continue to grow and evolve in the work that I'm doing now um, and, and do as much as I can to kind of help the Angels win. But, you know, if that's something that presents itself at some point down the line, uh, it's something that, you know, obviously I'll, I'll give some thought to and, uh, you know, take it as it comes. Jonathan Strangio, Angels Assistant General Manager, thanks very much for your time. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Many thanks to Jonathan Strangio for taking the time to sit down for this week's episode of Executive Access. For our next episode, I'll sit down with Ray's Vice President of Baseball Operations, Haim Blue. We'll discuss his days working in the commissioner's office, how close he was to becoming a sports writer, the challenges of being a part of a front office tandem, and much more. If you missed our recent special oral history on the Justin Verlander trade, be sure to check it out. You can search for Executive Access on Apple Podcasts, Art19, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. So be sure to subscribe and enjoy these conversations all season long. If you like what you hear, leave us a review while you're at it. We always appreciate those. And be sure to spread the word and tell all the baseball fans in your life about Executive Access. Until next time, I'm Mark Feinsand. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. 
I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 